If God withdrew his Holy Spirit from the earth for an entire week, now think about it. God withdrew his Holy Spirit from the earth for an entire week. Would you notice a difference? Would we notice a difference? We would like to say that we would, but I'm afraid so often our spiritual life, our Christian life, has become so mechanical that we tend to operate without little thought as to what the Spirit might be doing or would do or to yield ourselves to the Spirit to be able to be at work in us. Now that sounds pretty brutal, doesn't it? But think about it. If, if we lived with a desire for the Spirit to be at work in us and to live according to the Spirit, would we be so prayerless in our lives? Would we give so little time to God's Word? Would we resist witnessing to others? You see, what I'm afraid of that happens in my life and happens in all of our lives is we experience the benefit of God, we experience the promises of God, we hold fast to the faith in Jesus Christ, but we often then live in a pattern to where we don't seek the Spirit's influence in our lives, and we don't hunger and thirst for spiritual things. And often, because of that, we live our lives based on our best decisions and human wisdom and give little thought, little attention, little preference to what the Spirit of God might be doing in our life. It's been sweet to see over the last almost two weeks now at a little college in Kentucky, at Asbury College, where a, a spiritual awakening of some sort has begun. Now, I don't know the end results of it. There's lots of this is this, this isn't that. Well, what I can tell just from looking at it is there are genuinely people from that whole region, from the college in that region, who are coming together to pray for the Spirit, who are coming together to be led, to, to be grow deeper in the things of Christ. And, and I have no doubt that it will have its... Uh, it will have its uh, results in those to whom it makes no real difference, but I also believe that there are going to be a great number of individuals to who the Holy Spirit works in incredible ways through these days and through those experiences, and it's a sweet, sweet thing to see. Perhaps in your own life there's a season or a time or a decision, a place where you sense the Spirit leading. Perhaps there's one of those moments in your life that you've done something that didn't make sense to your friends, it didn't make sense to your family, but you knew that the Spirit of God was leading you to do that thing. Those are great moments in our life, aren't they? Those are great times and, and great opportunities. And, and today what I want us to see as we look at the text is that I, I don't want just routine Christianity in my life. I don't want just to make good decisions because I know the Word of God and, and I know the things that God requires. And so I, I just want to live my life as a, as a good person who loves Jesus and does the right things. I want to be led by the Spirit. Amen? I, I, I want to be led by the Spirit in that I'm a, a person of prayer Seeking God's wisdom, seeking the Spirit, seeking Him to lead me, looking for opportunities and doors that God opens, and paying attention to opportunities and uh, that God closes those doors. 
I, I want to be led by the Spirit. I don't want to be led by reason. I don't want to be led by myself. I, I don't want to be led just by good decisions. I, I want the Spirit of God to lead me and to live in me. I want to feel that and know that and be useful to God and His kingdom because I'm following His Spirit. Isn't that what we want? And sometimes to do that, the Spirit will shake our lives. Things that we thought were good turn out not to be the best. Difficulties might come, difficult situations, difficult people. But if we trust in Christ, if we know that God loves us, that He's called us according to, to His will, that He works all things together by the good, then, then I want to be out there and I want the Spirit to lead me. I want things in my life, I want there to be things and times in my life that it doesn't make sense to people that aren't looking at it through spiritual lenses. I want to be led by the Spirit. Look with me in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. Paul also came to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for, ob for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem, so that the church... So that, so, that, so that the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Verse 6. And they went through a region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Maesa, they attempted to go into Bithlia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they passed through by Maesia, and went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul had seen the vision. Immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This text is one that you probably know most familiar as the Macedonian call. That God calls Paul, he, he reroutes him from Asia to Europe. The first uh, taking of the gospel into Europe, into Macedonia. And as we read this text, we, we see that Paul and Timothy, Barnabas and Mark, they've all been faithful to see what God does, but that's not all. God still continues to lead them. It's one thing to get on track for God, and it's another thing to be on track and continue to be directed by God. What can happen so often is that we get on track for God. We come to faith in Christ. We are faithful. We, our lives have been changed and transformed. We get plugged into a church. We, we begin to do things. We begin to serve in certain ways. These are all great, wonderful, tremendous things that should accompany a life that has been transformed by Jesus. My concern is we can get into those things 
and we can settle in and we can lose the desire for God to continue to move in our life. We, we can lose that passion to be led by the Spirit in all things. And we can do good things, but not pursue the great things that Christ would have for us. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, I thank you for this text. I thank you for how over the last few weeks as I've reflected and, 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 and come to this text many times, you have given me such a great burden in my own life. And, and for these people that we would seek you, that we would have a spiritual hunger and a spiritual thirst, that, that we would not be satisfied with just a, a faithful routine, but that we would earnestly desire your spirit to lead us every day in and out. That we would seek to, to know where you're at work and we would join alongside of that. Father, this is my desire. I pray that, that as I teach your word today, that that desire would grow in others. That we would all, Father, desire not just to know you, not just to be saved, but, Father, that we could be useful to you, that we could be guided by your spirit, that, that in everything that we do, we would seek to love and obey and cherish you. Would you give us that burden today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are four, four things from this text that I, I want us to see. That is, the Spirit of God leading here in the text, historically, what, what we read about that's happening, but also that God still does in our life if we're attuned to the Spirit, if we're seeking out the things of the Spirit, if we're, if we're being led by the Spirit. And I, I want you to see that, and I want you to have a desire to say, I want these things to be shown in my life as well. The first is this. The Spirit will lead us to the right workers. The Spirit will lead us to the right workers. We see this here in the first two chapters, and then also in verse 10, if you're paying really close attention here, and pay close attention to the book of Acts. This is what it says. It says, Paul also, uh, Paul came also to Derby and Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was spoken well of the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And then at verse 10, it says, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go, there's a we, sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel with them. So, so all of a sudden we have this change in the writing of we and us. Acts has been descriptive to this point, and now it's including the author. And so as we read here, the first thing that I want you to see is, Paul is being led by the Spirit just in where he's initially going. Paul returns back to Derby and Lystra. We, we've heard those towns before, right? Those were the, the towns that they went to during the original missionary journey. Those were the towns where Paul was stoned and left for dead. Those were the towns that Paul had been uh, ran out of. What a brave and spiritually dependent thing it is for Paul to return. He desires to go back and to strengthen those believers to, to take the, the letter that they have from uh, the council at Jerusalem that concluded the Gentiles are saved. 
They're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's all that they need. He's excited to be able to take that back and to encourage the brothers there. And so he goes back to these places that had treated him so harshly before. He's led by God's Spirit. He has confidence in God. And so he goes back to a place that a lot of people would say, that doesn't make sense. Don't, don't go back there. They hate you. Paul decides, being led by the Spirit, that's where we need to go. We need to go back and encourage those brothers. And, and as he's there, he comes to, to one. We're introduced to someone here in the Bible, <coughs> in Lystra, that will be very important to Paul. Timothy. Young Timothy. A young man who, maybe 18, maybe 20, we know that he was very young because Paul writes to him later and says, Not, don't let people despise you because of your youth, but set an example in the things that you do and the way that you speak. And so he was very young, but he was one. It says here that, uh, that his mother was a believer. We know, from, uh, we know from Paul writing to Timothy later in the New Testament, his grandmother was a believer, his mother was a believer, and Timothy had become a believer. So the first go-round as Paul goes through this area preaching the gospel, this family of, of Jewish women and this son all become believers in Jesus Christ. And in the time that's passed since Paul has gone away, Timothy has earned quite a reputation for himself. Throughout Lystra and Iconium, Timothy was going around and, and preaching the gospel. He was doing that which Paul had seen. He was going and speaking of Christ. He was strengthening the brothers. And, and he had built quite a reputation as being this young man who had such a great passion for the things of God and went around speaking for him. What a beautiful thing that that is, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? What a great thing to encourage young men and young women in the things of God as they have a, a desire and a passion for it. I, I thank God so much for Little Faith Bible Church in Kansas City of about 12, I think our average age was 92, 12 people there that let an 18-year-old come and preach to them. And it wasn't pretty. I'm so glad that social media didn't exist. There's no recordings. There's, <laughs> there's nothing. But I had a desire for the things of God. I had a desire to, to teach the word and to see people built up. And, and, and that little group encouraged me to do so. And encouraging me to do so confirmed God's calling upon me. And, and very much so. We have this here with Paul. And he sees Timothy, and Timothy's at work, and so he joins to him, but God led him to Timothy. Paul didn't, Paul gave Timothy, you know, the initial gospel, Paul taught there, but, but Timothy wasn't handpicked and raised up by Paul, do you see that? God had been at work in Timothy's life. God had changed Timothy, God had given him opportunity, and the believers there had, had helped him to grow and Paul simply came across him. And here is one to whom will be Paul's son in the faith. One to whom uh, Paul in many ways passes the torch to. His protege, Timothy. We see him here. We see that God will lead us to the right people. The, the, other, the other thing that we see here, and I already kind of gave it away, is in verse 10, we start going from descriptive passages 
of what the apostles are doing to all of a sudden the author, Luke, says, we. And so we have lots of we comments, us comments, where now the author, Luke himself, has joined Paul's missionary team with Silas and with Timothy, and they are all traveling together, preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in areas to where the gospel has never been. They all go and they all suffer together. They all go and they all rejoice together. They all go and they all encourage one another. It's so important for us that we live the Christian life with other individuals who are of faith. That they would encourage us, they would be a means of correction for us, and they would be our partners in ministry to help us that we might do all the things that God has called us to do. Whatever ministry that is, whatever gift that is that God has given to you, we can't just do that alone. Christianity, Christianity is not a lone ranger religion. We are called together as a body. We're adopted together in the family of Christ. And we're called to come together in a local body where those gifts help complement and strengthen one another. How wonderful and precious it is to have those kinds of Christian friends, isn't it? God will lead you to those individuals who he has been preparing to do that. And that's what we see here. God leads them. Perhaps you're at a point in life where you're lonely. You're at a point in life where you need some friends like that. Pray and ask that God would reveal them to you. Pray and ask that God would bring some to help strengthen you. Perhaps there's a, a ministry that you need help with. You know, e even Jesus himself says the, the harvest is great. But the workers are few. And so what are we to do? Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers. Pray that God would lead you to others. We, we need older believers in our life like Barnabas was to Paul. We need contemporaries like, like Luke and Silas were to Paul. And we also need younger believers in our life like Timothy was to Paul. Pray and ask that the Lord would lead those to you, to our church, in our lives to help strengthen us, that we might be faithful. The second thing that we see in spiritual leadership here in this text, <clears throat> the Spirit will lead us to the right ways. The Spirit will lead us to the right ways. Look at verse 3, and this verse, when you think about it in context, is hilarious. I laugh just about every time that I read this. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And so he took him and he circumcised them because the Jews were in that, who were in that place all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, here's where this is hilarious to me. Paul is going around taking a letter from the church at Jerusalem that says the Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. And yet he comes to Timothy and to take him on the journey, to take him to the places where he's going to go, he circumcises Timothy. And, and it's just, you're like... Wait a minute. And even further, Paul will, will come, and Titus will be one of these ones that come with Paul. And it talks about Titus coming, and Paul does not have Titus circumcised. Titus is a, a, a Gentile believer who comes to faith, and he doesn't have it. And so you're like, well, what is going on? What is this? Well, this builds up a lot off of the message we had a couple of weeks ago. That wrong does not, is not equal to sin. Different is not equal to sin. Um, 
And, and, and it's this. What it means is that there, all of us are going to have things in our life where we need to pray and ask for God's wisdom on what the most prudent thing is to do. Paul did not have Timothy circumcised so that he could be saved. Right? He did not have him circumcised so that he could be saved. But basically, they were led by the Spirit to come to this decision. It was very obvious that Timothy's father was a Greek. Now, I don't know if that's because his father was well-known. It could have been that he had very Greek features in his physical. You know, you just look at him and go, he's not pure Jew, right? He is a Greek. And the other thing is this. What is Paul's, what is Paul's missionary um, practice when he goes into a new town? Where's the first place that he goes? He goes on the Sabbath to the synagogue. If there's one available in that town. Well, guess who wouldn't be able to accompany him there if he wasn't circumcised? He, he had a Jewish background. He was raised in the knowledge and the things of God. In, in fact, Paul will write about this in, in Timothy, in 2 Timothy, when he says, you know, you, you have the faith of your mother and your grandmother who brought you up in the scriptures. So Paul had, or Timothy had all of the of all of the benefits of being raised in a Jewish family, but he didn't have this done because his father was a Greek. And so they came to a decision, I'm sure with prayer, and asking the Spirit for wisdom how they should go about this. And the decision that they landed on was that it would be most beneficial for him to undergo this, not for salvation, but to remove a stumbling block to keep others from coming to know Jesus Christ. So that's why I'm saying the Spirit will lead us in the right ways. There are times in our life where we need to pray and ask for wisdom. Don't work so mechanical in everything that you do that you forget to ask God for wisdom. So often the first thing that we go to is Google and not God. The, the Bible promises in James chapter 1... James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. The Bible says that if you need wisdom, come to me. And how does God give us wisdom? Through spiritual insight. Those who are spiritual, those who have received Christ, those to whom the Holy Spirit dwells within, they have access to be led by God. And God cares about how we want to live, about the decisions that we're going to make, uh, about big things and small things in our life where we need wisdom, we need help, we need understanding, and we need leading. God will lead us to the right ways. I think it's interesting here. They have such a desire for the gospel that they remove cultural barriers that would hinder others Coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I, I don't remember where I heard this quote. It might not be exact, but it's one that's kind of always stuck with me that I think is, is wonderful, thinking about the church and, and our worship and what we're to do. And, and it's this. Remove every hindrance that would keep one from coming to Christ. Re re remove every obstacle that would keep someone from coming to Christ except for the obstacle of the gospel. So, so there's lots of things that we might do that might offend people because of tradition, 
because of, uh, of, of, of our self-conscience. And so often, individuals are offended by those things that don't matter when the thing that they should be offended by is the gospel. And I say the gospel is offensive because it must offend. The gospel, if it's preached correctly and if it's understood correctly, must say this. I am not good enough. I have sinned. I need Jesus to save me. The gospel is an offense. Do you see that? The gospel says, I can't save myself. I'm not right with God. I have sinned and fallen short. And if I don't repent, if I don't come to Christ, I will be eternally separated and judged by God in hell for not believing in Jesus. Because there's something wrong in how I've lived, in what I've done, in the decisions that I've made. They're not just bad. They've not just affected me and others negatively, but I've sinned against my holy creator. That's the offense. And the good news is anyone who recognizes that offense and, and turns to Christ in faith and seeks to, to follow him as Lord and Savior, that, that they are saved. And so we must remove every barrier that would offend arbitrarily. That the gospel might be clearly and precisely proclaimed. And individuals would know what it is that needs to change. That they must come to trust in Christ. The Spirit will lead us to the right workers. The Spirit will lead us, lead us to the right ways. Third point, the Spirit will lead us to the right winds. The right winds. Now listen. I've got to alliterate some, okay? So, so hear me out. I'll make it make sense. In, in business, in life, we often ask the question, what is the win? What, what is it that is most important? What is, the, what is the marker? What is the thing that you would measure that would say whether or not this action, this, this initiative, this thing that you're going to do was a win, right? Uh, look at this verse here. Verses 4 and 5. They went on their way through the cities and they delivered to them for observation the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. Verse 5. This is what I want us to pay attention to. So, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Do any of you remember the old, the old Baptist scorecards that, that all the Baptist churches used to put on the sides of the, the building? I've never seen a picture of our church that had one, but I would, I would reckon that the original church building probably had one, right? It was, a, it was a weekly reminder of nickels and noses. How many people were here and how much money was given, right? And it was just like displayed, boom, right there. The whole time that you're listening to the word of God, you're, you're thinking about nickels and noses. Now, nickels and noses in themselves are not wrong. Every nickel that's given to the work of God and used for the kingdom of God is a tremendous, wonderful sacrifice that God uses that the gospel would be proclaimed. And noses are not wrong. Every one of those noses is connected to someone who God loves. But the problem can become in a church that a church becomes so mechanical that the only thing that matters, what the winds are, are the nickels and the noses. Right? How many people, how much money? 
How many people are in Sunday school? How many people? I, I mean, if, if you went to, with me to a uh, convention and heard pastors talking, like that's the conversation. So what you running? Post-COVID, right? <laughs> you got to qualify it because everybody will give out those pre-COVID numbers, right? What are you running? Post-COVID. What's your budget this year? It's a measurement that's worthy but that's not the true win in a church. Jesus didn't say, go out, go and collect nickels and noses. He said, go and make disciples. And then he even qualifies it more. He says, baptize them in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's good to know who's in, who's out, who's accepted Christ. That's, that's good. But here's the win. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded. That's often called the great omission of the great commission. The great omission. And the reality of it is, nickels and noses are pretty easy to count. Discipleship is not. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, spiritual leadership in an individual's life is much more difficult to quantify, isn't it? In fact, it's a, it's a question that really you can only ask for yourself. There's things that I, as your pastor, can observe, and you might give me insights into what the Lord is doing in your life. But, but the real question and the real analysis comes to this. And, am I being changed by Jesus? Am I growing in my love and my desire and my obedience to Christ? Or... Did I get saved and just get in the groove? So often we can just get saved and get in the groove. We need to be led by the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. And so we see here that, that what they did, their win, was strengthening the faith of individuals and helping to see that the churches would grow, to make disciples. That, that individuals would come to faith in Jesus Christ. They would be strengthened in the faith of Jesus Christ. Because they're being strengthened in the faith of Jesus Christ. They're being encouraged in the things of God. They're, they're hearing the message that, that they're delivering in the letter. That you are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. They're encouraged. And they're strengthened. And they're faithful. And the Spirit is at work at them. And they're moving. And they're growing. They're growing in noses. They're also growing in discipleship. You, you see, uh, <laughs> Paul preached and many people got saved. No doubt. But Paul is not the only one preaching. Paul is not the only one sharing the gospel. Paul is not the only one seeing the word of God prevail through that dark culture. There is a, a spiritual awakening happening amongst these people that in the New Testament that, that they're, they're seeking the Spirit earnestly. They're, they're transformed by the Lord. And maybe some of the problem is this. We've been so far removed from when it was that we came to the Lord that we forgot what it's like to live without the Lord. Right? We, we, we forgot what it's like not to have the Holy Spirit because we've just had it. And we've come in this rut. We've become just kind of mechanical in all that we do and, and how we do everything. And, and good gracious, if we do something out of order, I, I mean, it throws me off. 
this morning we didn't have a special music. And I'm thinking, okay, wait, is it time for me? <laughs> Imagine if we switched one Sunday and did church first, Sunday school second. <laughs> People would lose it. I'm sure none of you here, it's everybody traveling, right? But do you see how we just get in this rut? Is there anything in the Bible that says you have to have Sunday school, then church? No. But we get in this rut. And we get mechanical. And the things that don't matter, matter. And the things that should matter, we don't even think about. We need to be a people that are led by the Spirit. People that follow, hear what we see. So the Spirit will lead us to the right people, the right workers, the right uh, wise, what decisions we need to make, It'll lead us to the right winds. If we seek the Spirit, if we truly speak the Spirit and truly want to do the Great Commission and do that which God has called us to do, we will be focused on making disciples. We will be focused on trying to become a disciple that follows Jesus, that grows in Jesus, that acts more like Jesus, that is led by Jesus. I, I like this here. It says the Spirit of Jesus led them. Did you notice that? It's an odd phrase. We don't see that very often. But the Spirit of Jesus, which is the same as the Spirit of God, because God, Father, Son, and Spirit are all in one, yet three distinct persons. And so there's a sense in which it says the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, led them. And this is our last point here. The Macedonian call. And I want to make... Six observations about this, really quickly. I said six, and some of you like look up, okay? <laughs> Wait, let's be led by this. Let's go all day, right? No, we can't do that. I, I, here's what I want you to see. That little, that little school in Asbury in Kentucky. I mean, this is essentially what's happened. People hungered and thirst for the Word of God. Chapel service was supposed to be over. They're supposed to go to class and do things, and and a group, I think I, I think I read of 20, were so moved in the chapel service that they came together and began to pray and began to sing. And then others are like, well, why aren't they going to class? And they came in and followed. And now what we're seeing is people from, from all over coming and traveling to be a part to see what the Spirit of God has begun doing in those young people. But again, we, we, we get into such a rut we're not led by the Spirit of God. In fact, so often we don't even want the Spirit of God to intrude into our life. Don't mess with my schedule. Don't mess with my plans. Don't mess with the things that I want to do. If we're honest, we would say that's the way that we can tend to be, isn't it? We need to be open to the Spirit's leading. And that's what we see here in the Macedonian call. Verse 6, chapter 16. And they went to the region of Pyrega and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Myasia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of the Lord did not allow them. So passing through Myasia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul at the night of a Macedonian who was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul, when Paul had seen the vision, he immediately, immediately we sought to go on, on to Macedonia, concluding 
that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now I want to make six quick observations about this text. Six quick observations about how the Spirit of God leads us if we're willing to follow him. The first is this. The opportunities that come, often they, they come to those who are already serving, not those who are doing nothing. Some individuals will sit back and be like, oh, I'll start serving God when he sends me a Macedonian vision. When I get that vision that says, here's the ministry that I want you to be in. Here's what I think that you should do. Here's the place that you should go. You should go to this person across the road at this time while they're eating this and they're wearing this color shirt. Then I'll go. But that's not the reality of what's happening here. Individuals who are already being led by the Spirit, who are seeking the Lord, who are serving the Lord, are the ones who the Lord calls to do greater things. This is just a, a rule of faith. If you're faithful in small things, God will allow you to be faithful in greater things. And so often, individuals don't want to start with the small things that they might think are beneath them because they're just waiting for the great things. And guess what's not going to happen? The great things. So here they're already serving, and, and the Lord sends this vision. He gives this dramatic call that they go. Here's the second point. God sometimes leads us in the best opportunities by hindering us from the good ones. Now, I rewrote this because the first time that I, that I put it down and thought about it, I said God will lead us to the right opportunities by hindering us from the bad ones. And I rewrote it, and here's why. Was taking the gospel to Asia a bad thing? No. That was not a bad thing. In fact, later, they will take the gospel to Asia. It, it's a good thing. It wasn't that they were trying to sin and God barred them from sin. But there's times in our lives where, where God will take us from the, the things that are good and redirect us to things that he has for us that are better. He'll move us from the good to the better. And, and those are difficult seasons. Right? We don't know exactly what was going on here, but, but, but he's being barred from going to these places. We don't know if he's just meeting opposition if he can't get a bus ticket. I mean, we don't know. We don't know, you know, no visas are coming through. I mean, I know that wasn't his, but that, that's kind of the things that we see today, that missionaries will see today. He kept getting sick every time he was going there. We, we, don't, we don't know what that was, but there was a, a sense in which he knew, they knew that the Lord was preventing them to go to this place that they thought was good, that they thought that they should go. And, and, and those are moments of struggle because you're like, God, I'm trying to serve you, and, and why isn't this working? What's happening here? And sometimes it's in those moments that then God will show you the best from the good. There's times that we need to pray, that we have two decisions to make, and, and both of them are good, and both of them are God-honoring. But we need to pray and ask, Lord, would you lead me in what is best? In what is best? Right? We need to be led by the Spirit. A third observation here. God usually leads us to the right opportunities progressively, not all at once. And that builds on kind of what I just said. 
It's not like the first time that they tried to go to Asia that an angel came down and said, uh, Paul, uh, not there. Okay, go north, west. I mean, we don't know how long this was, but if you track the places where it says that they're trying to go on foot, it would have taken some time, months, the whole summer, some commentators conclude. It took the whole summer of wandering around, trying to go into these areas where they thought this would be a good place for the gospel. We, we, we know that we can get there. Let's try to get in something. For some reason, the door kept shutting on them. And, and that's a hard season, isn't it? And yet they remained faithful. They remained in prayer. And God showed them exactly where it was that he wanted them to go. You know, here's a spiritual truth that's hard to swallow sometimes. God, there's some things in life that God wants us just to pray through. God just wants us to pray through. Could he immediately answer it? Sure could. But we will not develop the spiritual maturity, the spiritual grit that we develop when we have to walk through that season. It's a time we need to pray to be led by God, not to become bitter. God, why didn't you just immediately answer me? Why didn't you just immediately do this? The reality of it is, is often when God has great things in our lives, when God wants to do great things in our life, there is a season that we must wrestle through with prayer. Fourth, When God reveals something to you, make sure it's from Him. Make sure it's from Him. The Bible tells us to be careful, to test the spirits. And, and what I want you to see here is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, to whom God has revealed Himself in many ways thus far, still utilizes the wisdom of other believers to test whether or not this is what they should do. Well, why do you say that? Look at verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding. You see that? Who concluded? Paul didn't just command them. I got a vision. We've got to go. God said this to me. It must be true. No, there, there seems to be some kind of counsel together. We've been barred from going to these areas. God is shutting the door. And I've got this vision that we are supposed to go to Macedonia. All the brothers get together, they pray about it, they're led by the Spirit, and they say, you know what? I think you're right. God wants us to go to Macedonia. That's a good, good practice to have in your life. Don't chase every uh, bout that you have with indigestion and a weird dream. But, test all things according to the Spirit. Test all things according to godly people. And when you know that God has led you to something, what did they do? They, they didn't form a committee. right? They didn't form a, a council. They didn't have a steering committee to talk about the Macedonian people to do a search first to find out what town in Macedonia would be best to go to. No, they went. When, when you're confirmed that the Lord is sending you somewhere, that, that there is something that he has called upon you, and you've confirmed that with others, and you know it's a good thing, and it honors and glorifies God, then do it. Get about it. Fifth, the vision 
doesn't often match the reality. Sometimes people get discouraged because they have this idea that God has called them to a ministry, that God has opened a door for them, and, and everything seems to be right. And they've confirmed it with others, and then they start doing it, and they realize this, this isn't what I thought it would be. What? What, what? Paul gets the Macedonian vision of a man saying, come over here and help us. Paul goes to Macedonia, and the first thing that he sees is a woman at the water gathered in prayer. And then he sees a slave girl possessed by a demon, and then he ends up in jail. Now, did that look like the vision? Realize God is calling us to faithfulness. He moves and directs, and, and sometimes the things that God calls us to do and, and the sure things that the Spirit leads us to do, we won't see that in its fullness until we have labored in that thing and amongst that thing for a long time. And then we'll see the effect that God had in our willingness to go and to do that. Last is this, the greatest help that we can give to someone is to proclaim the gospel. That is the greatest. The man calls and he says, come to Macedonia and help us. And what does Paul do? He goes and in, in verse, he, he, he goes and in verse 31 we see he preaches this. Believe the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That is the message. That is the best thing that we can do. A, a lost and a dying world, their greatest need is not education. Their, their greatest need is not vaccination. Their greatest need is not waters and wells, medical aid, to get rid of poverty and start businesses for them. The greatest need that every man, woman, and child in this world, in all places of this world, any color, any nation, any background, is that they need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Amen? Now... There are times that missionaries, to be able to proclaim that gospel, need to feed a hungry, dying person. And that's a great and a wonderful thing. But if feeding a hungry and dying person is the only reason that they go, that's not missionary work. Does that make sense? We go and we make opportunities that we can then tell of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what they go and they do. That message, the same message that we're called to believe is the same message that they proclaimed. But we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Have you responded to that? Do you know that? Is Christ your Lord? Is he your Savior? Only you can answer that. But if you've never come to a place where you have asked Christ to forgive you, would you do it today? Would you identify with that today? And when you do that, an amazing thing happens. Yes, we're forgiven, we're saved. Something amazing also happens. The Spirit of God comes to live and indwell in us. Christ with us. And if we seek to live according to that Spirit, He will lead us and He will guide us. He will direct us. He will give us wisdom. He will lead us to the right people the right friends, the right co-workers. He'll lead us to the right wise when we need to make difficult decisions. He'll lead us to the right winds that we might best use our effort and use our resources to benefit the kingdom of God 
It'll lead us to the right places. What we're supposed to do. Where we're supposed to go. Friends, are we, would we know if the Holy Spirit disappeared? I pray that this morning there would be something that would shake in your heart and in your soul. Say, I don't want a mechanical Christian life. I want to be led by the Spirit. I, I want to be in prayer. I want to be in the Word of God. I want to be amongst the people of God. I want to be doing the things of God that God might be alive and work in me. E even to pray so bold as to say, I want things, I want to make decisions and do things in my life with my resources, with my time, with my efforts that people will say, you're crazy. But I know that God has led me to do that. Would we be so bold as to pray that prayer? Pray with me. Father.